Greetings, everybody. Welcome to episode 28 of Mandatory Marvel and DC, the show that likes to take a look back at the biggest and best storylines from the big two of comics. I'm your host, Max Byrne. I hope you'll continue to join me each and every week as we discover these classic moments that have stood the test of time and crossed over into popular culture. Now, for episode 28, we've got a very special guest making his second appearance on the show. It is the news editor of dccomicsnews.com and the host of the fantastic classic comics show, which can be found right here on the Comics in Motion Network. It is the pioneer of progressive rock, the god of the golden age of comics, the nobleman from North Carolina, and most importantly, all-round lovely bloke. It's my friend and yours, the amazing Matthew B. Lloyd. Matt, how are you, sir? Oh, Max, I'm good. Thank you. That introduction, I'm never going to get over those. Those are so... It was so good. I can feel my heart still beating a little bit fast with that one. <laughs> Thank you. Thank oh. you. I, I'm happy to be here. That was wonderful. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm happy to have you back on, Matt. It's an absolute treat to have you back on, of course. Uh, last time was such a good one, so I'm glad we've been able to schedule this. Uh, uh, reach across the Atlantic to form a truly transatlantic coalition, as it were. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Quite apt, with one of our mutual favourite bands being named just that. So uh, we'll, that's what we'll call ourselves for tonight, I think. The Minotaur and Marvel Transatlantic Connection. I like yeah. it. Yeah, that'll do for me. That'll do for me. Now, of course, Matt, as I said um, earlier in the intro there, you are the host of the brilliant Golden Age uh, of, of comics, the uh, classic comics show right here on the Comics in Motion Network. Now, last time you were, your episode dropped, it was the Astral Avenger, of course, which was like a, a, the Golden Age Starman, if you will. Um, just as a little sneak peek for everyone out there, the next episode you're working on that's going to be dropping soon, what could we expect to hear? What might the topic be? You know, I don't really know. I'm right now I'm reading the uh, the green green ugh, the golden age green arrow omnibus. Oh. So I'm really tempted to do something with that. I was supposed to do something with Steve at some point that we were going to do together with Captain Marvel, but uh, with the COVID and everything, it's it slowed down everything to the point that I'm not even trying to plan too much ahead. I'm just I'm just going to probably do something that I'm enjoying reading. So it's a good chance it's going to be Green Arrow, but I'm not setting a, uh, a time or a date for it just yet because uh, everything's just been so, so wacky with, uh, with my life after COVID. It's, it's, I mean, I'm, I'm almost back to hundred percent normal, but uh, everything seems to be, you know, just in a different place with things. So I'm trying to, to take it easy and not overdo things. So I don't end up in a, in a, feeling poorly as it were <laughs> yeah nothing wrong with that i've been there myself with the dreaded covid so i uh, i appreciate where you're coming from um but nevertheless you are here tonight i'm very very grateful for you giving up your time to come on and uh, wax lyrical with me for an hour or so and of course you've been on the show before and anyone who listens to this show knows that the subject matter for the show is chosen for by the guest the esteemed guest in this case so what is it, Matt, that you've selected for the listeners to listen to tonight? We have, I have selected the uh, first um, installment of Infinity Incorporated, Infinity Inc., as usually it's called. Uh, and it opened with a, a 10 part story called the generation saga but uh i think tonight uh based on what you were able to find is going to be part of that plus their original first appearance in all-star squadron which came just before the uh the launch of their own series yeah that's absolutely right yeah when you said you wanted to do the generation saga i immediately went out to try and hunt down like a collected edition and 
they're very hard to come by. I had to find a second-hand copy on eBay. And yeah, that's if anyone wants to sort of read along and, and go away and, and find out what it is we're, we're covering, the, uh, the first instalment does cover the following issues. It's All-Star Squadron issues 25 and 26, All-Star Squadron annual number two, and then Infinity Inc. issues one to four. Um, there is another hardcover edition somewhere out there, but again, like this one, it's also out of print. So it's very hard to come by. So uh, at least I managed to get uh, this bit done. So we'll. Uh, that's what we're going to be sort of discussing tonight. And then maybe Matt will give us a... A little insight into what comes next so um spoilers everyone out there you have been warned if you haven't read it and you are sensitive to spoilers then perhaps pause this podcast go and read it and then come back because we may discuss things that divulge the plot so fair warning so this one matt what's your history with this one i mean this came out sort of the tail end of 83 was the all-star squadron issues moving into 84 where infinity inc launched is this one you were buying off the rack, so to speak, when it was coming out, or did you come to it later in life? What, what's your history with this? I bought All Star Squadron number twenty five uh, right off the rack in right. a uh, a news dealer uh, in not too far from where my house was. So I would have only been thirteen when this came out. Yeah, uh, this you know, I mean, I had been going to a comic book store, but I still went to the drugstore, the Seven Eleven, you know newsstands to, to look at comics and get comics as well and it was always fun to go to a, the newsstand or the local place as opposed to the specific comic book store because you you just would see what was there and maybe grab something you wouldn't normally grab and that's exactly what happened with uh with this and i can't remember what the specific uh impetus was for this if it was the fact that i saw the guardian at the bunk or just some of the golden age characters on it. I was just like, man, I, I, I'm going to get that today. And I got it. And uh, all-star squadron quickly launched into being one of my uh, all-time favorite titles because of the, of course, no surprise to anyone, the golden age connection. Uh, and so I got these when they came out and then uh, I didn't realize infinity Inc was launching as its own series. So I think I picked that one up um, around issue four. Yeah. Uh, and then was e easily able to go back and get the other couple in front of it. But yeah, it was, uh, I was, I, I bought that off rack. So I, I didn't even know what I was getting at the time. And it was, uh, you know, the beginning of a, a, a long love with the golden age, not the beginning, but a, a resurgence because I'd already had like, uh, some of the all-star comics from the seventies when they re relaunched all-star in the seventies with the, uh, with power. Group. So I was, I was right in there. I was eagerly awaiting those issues with this storyline. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's a great, um, great introduction for a lot of new characters as well, which we'll, we'll get to, but what is it specifically about the sort of the golden age year of characters and, and specifically like the JSA roster of characters that, that speaks to you as a reader and appeals to you so much? Um, I think initially it's because I like old stuff, whether yeah. it's, you know, no matter what it is, I like old stuff. I, I can't really put my finger on what it is. I like yeah. history. Um, you know, my master's is in art history. And of course, what do I like the most? Ancient, the oldest stuff, you know, the classical Greek and Roman stuff. And it's just something about old stuff that appeals to me. And and with this, you know, the Golden Age characters are, are that's the dawn of, of comic books as we know them. Uh, 
and those characters, those are, you know, this year DC is celebrating the 80th anniversary of some of those characters. Today we're recording actually on Wonder Woman's Day. Yes. Uh, the first day she heard when um, All-Star Comics number eight appeared on the stands for the first time, uh, October 21st. So we're in that 80 year uh, anniversary for many characters at this point. And uh, this is, you know, this is almost 40 years ago that we're talking about uh, 30 years ago. Wait. Yeah. 30 years ago. No, 40 years ago. How old am yeah. I again? I'm 50. Shoot. <laughs> I'm 51. I'm, yeah, so this is almost 40 years ago. They were kind of hard to believe that a comic book I bought off the stands is 40 years old. But it's the truth, and I have to live <laughs> with it. But but so so this this comic right now that we're talking about, that I, we're talking All-Star Squadron 25, mm. is as old now as the original JSA stories were when I bought that all-star store the comic book. Yeah. So it's, it's old stuff. And, and, you know, those all-star comics in the seventies, I had a number of those as a kid. And I just thought the versions of those characters were interesting. You know, green lantern has almost no green in his costume, but I found that costume to be very interesting. Uh, it just, they were just so different from the, the silver age versions of the characters that I had initially known and grown in, as, a, as, a, as a little kid and then you learn about the flash and green lantern and the atom and those guys and and, and you know hawkman looked the same essentially but you realize it's a different character he's not the uh the sanagarian policeman he's a reincarnated uh egyptian prince in the body of a modern day archaeologist and I, I think some of the characters are just just wildly different and interesting and with those all-star comics in the 70s, they, they started with the second generation of heroes. And you had Power Girl, who was the Earth 2 version of Supergirl. Yeah. But her personality is very different from the Kara Zor-El we know from, uh, what is it, Action Comics 252, I think is her first, uh, the Supergirl's first appearance. Right. And you've got Huntress, which is Batman and Catwoman's daughter, which was a totally, uh, you know, new concept. What do you mean they had a kid? really yeah. kidding you know and that's i mean now we've seen it done a couple different times in in different forms now but that was the first time and it was just neat it was different it was it was adding real life you know the characters were allowed to age they had they got married or they didn't get married they had kids or they couldn't have kids uh, and they're they're like real people. It's like throwing on those those real life situations to these characters, and uh, it really allowed the writers. Uh, so who was that back then? Jerry Conway and Paul Levitz at first in the seventies, and then uh, Roy Thomas, who is the writer of the stuff we're talking about today, yeah. to really infuse with those golden age characters personality and make that they weren't they weren't they, they weren't all of us. They suddenly were not all generic do getting heroes. They had a specific you know quirk about the personality or they acted in a certain way and and that, that's what was really interesting they, they seemed real and but they had all this history and with roy thomas does with it and i guess to a certain extent uh the others but roy thomas would take those old also uh all-star comics jsa stories from the 40s he would find a way to work them into the all-star squadron comic books yeah so it, it, you'll you'll see uh and the Infinity Inc. story we're looking at today has a uh, All Stars uh, comics uh, antecedent as well. Uh, 
it comes right off of one of the old stories. So I, I, it's, it's that, it's that whole world developing and real people with real personalities and you get a sense of more of a real life thing. And they're just different. They don't, they don't feel, you know, as much as fun as it is to read Batman and Superman in the regular continuity, when there's no real changes and there's no real growth, it can feel kind of static. Yeah. And there's a, com- there's a comforting quality to feeling like you can always pick up a comic and know what you're going to get. But there's also, but there's a more, I guess, endearing quality to some of this to where you feel like these are real people. You know what I mean? Mm. At least that's, that's, that's what I get from it. That's how it comes across to me. Uh, and I just, I like their histories. I like when you work in all those histories, all those stories that you've read that are reprinted in those old, those volumes, you know, yeah, they count, they happened. All those stories in the seventies that or the sixties that they recounted or, uh, when they brought them back, they happened, and they have a longer history, and and a real life that you can kind of look at. And then, the generational thing, the legacy thing, that just feels like family. And so it's it's family, and so you feel like you're reading about friends and uh, family you've known for years, and that just it has that feel to it as opposed to a uh, maybe like Superman or or Batman today, where it's just you know. They have their people, but you don't feel included where to me, I feel like this somehow makes me feel included in a way because you know so much about them. I don't know. It's, it's just something different. Uh, There's a, there's a dynamic to it that is just a little bit different than, uh, than, than the regular comics we get today. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with what you just said. That's a really, really well put together answer. And I'm really grateful for your insight. That's fantastic. (laughs) I mean, I, for me, I've always found like the, you know, I'm going slightly off topic from Infinity, but the well, I suppose it isn't because Infinity Inc. is kind of born out of the JSA. The, the JSA, obviously, when you put, put them against the JLA, the JLA obviously had the bigger names and the blockbuster A, A star characters, like you've said, Batman, Superman, you've got Wonder Woman, The Flash, Green Lantern, Aquaman. The list goes on and on, these household name characters. But to me, the the JLA always didn't feel like they were bigger than the sum of the parts, whereas the JSA, the emphasis, you know, the characters might not be individually as well known, but they felt like more of a a team environment. So to me anyway, I mean, I don't I'd love to get your take on it, but that's how it when I read JSA, I always feel like that's a team. That's a, a, a close knit bonded unit, whereas the JLA, as brilliant as they are individually, don't always feel like that sort of close-knit team that sort of they seem to be together out of necessity rather than through desire if that makes sense Do you, does that make sense from what i'm trying to say as you were putting that together um the thing i thought of was exactly how you finished it was the jla are together because they have to be whereas the jsa seem to be together because they want to be yeah Absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's how it seems. Yeah. There's a, there's a real sort of team. And like you said about the legacy and the family aspects of it, they do seem like the JSA seem like a surrogate family for each other, don't they? They do. You know, uh, this week I rewatched, well, actually technically it's the first time I've watched both episodes, uh, the two JSA episodes of Smallville. Yes. Um, I had never seen both of them before because when it originally aired here, um, the power went out on the second night and I never got to see oh, it. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, I wasn't watching the show anyways. It was just one of those times I just couldn't watch TV all the time. And uh, so I saw the first one, I recorded it and saw it. And the second night, the power went out and I couldn't watch the second one. So it, it, as part of my 
preparation for this uh, this show today with you, I, I watched those finally, and uh, and that was one of the themes of that show was mm. the JSA is a family, and that you know the the new league that you know Clark and Chloe and Oliver are forming don't really know how to fit together and work together. They're not they're not connected by anything other than the necessity to fight something together. Whereas mm. the JSA were a family, and uh, and you know that's that's exactly right that's how you finish up your question to me and you couldn't be more right it's the jsa is a family the jla is there because of necessity um to do what they have to do and the the closeness is not there there may be some you know characters who are close like flash and you know barry allen and hal jordan have a long history of being friends yeah and that kind of thing but it's not it's not like it is with the uh with the jsa you know yeah Oh, definitely. Yeah. I think that's why I've always, if you gave me the choice of reading a story of the two, then nine times out of 10, I'll choose to read a JSA story than a JLA story. And I mean, that's not to, you know, take a dump on the JLA. I do love those stories too, but I just, I find there's just a lot more, you know, the story elements of it aside. I just think the sort of inter personal dynamics of it really just come through more in JSA stuff. Um, yeah, I, I tell people usually that uh, I'm like the, uh, the the chick flick fan of comics. You know, I want <laughs> stories about the about the characters and the interpersonal relationships and why they how they interact and stuff. You know, you know, I, I, to, in the movies, I'm not going to get upset about some dodgy special effects i'm okay with that you know explosions okay but give me some good character stuff give me some good personal interaction and it's the same in comics i look back at the comics i like most a lot of times that's why i I, I can get tired of a superman or a batman run whereas other comics i'm not it's like that's why nightwing is so good right now because they're focusing on you know dick and barbara and Mm. that's just golden right that's just so good and yeah that's what i want to read i want to read that you know, or uh, even like uh, Robert Venditti's Hawkman run that ended, uh, I guess, going on a year. It's almost been over a year now, I think. Yeah. Uh, that was so good because it focused on the character and his relationships and, uh, and who he was as opposed to, you know, just the villains and the explosions and stuff. Even though there's, there's of course, there's the adventure in there as well. Yeah. But it includes all that character stuff, which to me is more important. And I think when you say that about the JSA, you're exactly right, because it's a family. So it's got to be treated as a family. Uh, and that's why you have kids. That's why you have spouses. That's why you have, you know, all the legacy characters and where they go next. That's what makes it so good. <laughs> I yeah. think it oh, makes yeah. it different. I mean, it's what makes it different. Yeah, it does. It does. You just get more of that sense when you read it. Um, and, you know, there's, like you said, there's so much history to draw on, you know, these characters have been active since World War II. And there's, you know, there's different sort of iterations that have, you know, managed to exist in the modern time, unaged, and there's all different kinds of reasons. And, you know, depending on which continuity you read as, as to why, but there's that depth of the the history behind it really does sort of bleed into it, I think. And it just, just makes for a more, a more absorbing read, I would say, without wanting to sound too cheesy. No, I, I agree. I agree entirely. Yeah. It's yeah. right on. Yeah, I'd say so. Um, but obviously, going back to obviously why we're here and to discuss this book, I was reading about this, obviously, by way of preparation and just trying to get a bit more flavor for where this sort of 
the genesis of this idea came from. And I was reading an art, an interview with Roy Thomas, who of course is the the author of of, of what we're discussing, and he said that you know obviously his, his desire had always been to write JSA because you know that's what he'd grown up on, of course, and. And JSA, when he got was in a position, you know, and had sort of reached that sort of status in the industry where he could sort of put his name into the hat, JSA had been can, just been cancelled when he sort of started contributing stories to DC. So that's where he sort of conceived the idea of All Star Squadron, you know, where he could cherry pick those JSA characters and create this sort of new incarnation that was set during World War II and and sort of have the best of both worlds and have those JSA characters in the sandbox to play with, but in a new incarnation. And, and then sort of skipping forward a couple of years later, Squadron was selling pretty well and, and, and you know, moving along. And um, he wanted to um, do another JSA related series and, and you know, rather than just doing a, like a straight JSA revival, he had this notion where, like you were saying about how they age and have family and all the rest of it, he t- sort of hit on the same idea where he'd said, well, look, the, the JSA is a middle age and, and, and more in some respects. So why shouldn't some of them have teenage or 20 something kids? And then wouldn't some of those kids have, you know, inherited superpowers and all the rest of it. Um, so it's, a you know, again, it just harks back to what you were saying about the family aspect where, you know, you get to draw upon that and then he's creating these new characters from effectively from scratch, but he's able to cherry pick the characters he wants to produce the offspring from. So, you know, although he's creating all these new characters, which we'll get into in, in Infinity Inc., he's allowable to just cherry pick the, the best characters out of the JSA area that he wants and make these new, you know, men and women characters. It's a great idea, isn't it? It is. It is. And I think this is where, this is what separates, I think, DC from Marvel is uh, legacy. And that's one thing that losing the JSA out of continuity with the new 52 really hurt mm. was uh, DC is about legacy and that it's not necessarily the same person in the suit but it's it's an idea that can be passed on from generation to generation yeah uh even with uh barry allen and wally west in the bronze age with uh after crisis on infinite earth you know wally went on to be just as popular as barry was if yeah. not even more popular yeah uh, and and he's he's back as the flash again um and that's what really separates uh, DC for, to me from Marvel apart is, I mean, you've got a character maybe like Captain America who has passed his shield around a couple times, but <laughs> there's never any sense that that anyone's really going to take over permanently unless no. Steve Rogers kicks off, you know, yeah. and he's going to permanently be on that sliding timeline that he was always re- re- uh, revived 10, 15 years ago, whatever the timeline is. You know, whereas with the JSA, you have real things happen. And, you know, when we go back to these issues here, the Golden Age Batman is dead. He's already died. Yeah. So, of course, somebody else is picking up that mantle. You know, Uh, these characters over the next, you know, 20 years uh, go through so much, including, you know, other characters dying, other characters taking over uh, uh, for the originators. down the line at infinity incorporated in the in the late 80s and stuff that uh it just takes that whole idea and 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 puts it on the whole the whole golden age universe and goes this is something you can do you can keep these ideas going and it, it's just a different feel like we said than picking up and it's 
always Bruce Wayne, always in a sort of static environment. Even if the stories are good, there's no sense that, you know, you know, he's going to have twins with Catwoman next week. You know, it's, it's always yeah. going to be what it is with very little. I mean, there, there are little bits and pieces now, you know, we have, you know, Superman and Lois have been married in the comics now for what, 25 years at yeah. this point. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, you know, they have a son. Um, I don't know what's going to happen with Bruce and Selena. They, it's always on again, off again with them. And it's been that way since the seventies in regular continuity, not yeah. even just on earth too. So, so it's a, it, it's just a difference. I'm starting to get lost now, but yeah, it's just, <laughs> it's just something that's different that you can add on to the concepts and, and keep pushing forward and have those real changes and stuff without feeling like you're just rehashing the same thing over and over because let's just take hunters for a moment. She's not Batwoman, Batman, nor is she Catwoman, but she's her own character. So she's going to have her own stories with her own, uh, her own twists on things. Yeah. And then if she were to pass on the mantle to somebody else, she would have that character would have his or her own, you know, even though they are a legacy of Batman and Catwoman, you know what I mean? That's, that's mm -hmm. what's, it's just a different idea that, I don't know why it hasn't stuck around to me. It's just such a, a, a obvious way to handle aging in comics. Uh, you know, you can't always, you're always going to have a, a, a Clark Kent that's Superman and a Bruce Wayne that's Batman. And, and when you pick up a comic book, but there should be a way to keep some of those other versions around on parallel earths that you can visit and revisit and heck, I mean, think about this, this all-star squadron and infinity Inc were two earth, two books that are being yeah. published right up to the crisis. Yeah. I mean, the only reason they ended was the crisis of infinite earths. And if they hadn't have done that, they would have still been published because they relaunched new series right after that, you know, infinity Inc continued on. It just had to incorporate the new history and all-star squadron became a new book called young all-stars that tried to tell the world war two stories without the characters that they lost, you know? So it's, and it seems like it, it would, it would be a good, uh, a good option to, to try again, but that's me. I'm not in charge of DC. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Were you a fan of the, the thought? I must, you know, again, we're sort of going off topic here, but I'd love to know, I've never asked you this question. When they did the crisis on infinite earths and folded everything into one continuity, one earth, were you a fan of that? idea or did you want it still to be as it was where you had the earth two and you had these separate pools of characters or, or were you glad that it all got folded into one universe i i'm pretty sure that if we dug out the comics from that era you could see my tear stains still on them <laughs> i'll take that as a no then that is that is, i mean there's been a lot of things that if, uh, if there is anything i could change it would be to reverse the uh, the crisis on infinite earths that yeah. it was such a simple and elegant solution to this generational thing and, and having multiple characters with the same name. It was just, it made sense. It's, it's so simple. And all they did with the crisis was muddle everything, yeah. you know? I mean, I think, you know, people say, you know, well, having the JSA as the, uh, you know, the inspiration for the, the modern age of heroes, it works so great. Yeah, it does. But you know what? It worked really great the first time, too, when they were just on a different earth. Yeah. <laughs> that didn't matter, you know? Yeah. It, it, there was no reason why. I mean, because if you read those old JLA, JSA crossovers um, from the 60s and 70s and early 80s, you know, the 
the JSA, the JLA is pretty awestruck at times when they see the JSA and what they can do and what they've already learned and what they've already brought to the table. So I think it, I think it still works. Yeah. If I could go back and turn the clock back, I would, if I was going to do be sure if I had that magic wand, you know, if I could wave my magic wand, bam, that's what I do with that right there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it it is what it is. I suppose it's, it is, I guess it's, you know, it goes down as one of the most significant, you know, events in comic book history, isn't it? That still gets talked about today, but um, they, they change things around that much and fold fold things in and then fold them out again. So you can never sort of take anything that once they do something, it'll stay that way forever. So, you know, you don't need to sort of ever think that they couldn't sort of explode. I mean, they, they, they've done Earth 2 since then, haven't they? And in the new 52, they did Earth 2 and a, a very different It was incarnation. a little different Earth 2, though. It was a very different, yeah. But um, you know, obviously they brought, they did bring the JSA back in Doomsday Clock, but then they've yet to they've yet to have this ongoing JSA title that they supposedly are going to be doing. But we, we still haven't f- had it yet. But um, you know, hope springs eternal that we will. You know, as much as I love the characters, I am of the opinion that they really should have legacy characters in place. Yeah, they should be using these Infinity Incorporated characters. Yeah. Um, because uh you know it's just it is it is kind of to the point now where you know a green lantern that's over a hundred or a flash that's over a hundred as much as i love jay garrick and alan scott um they are it doesn't make sense for them to still be active even with all the you know cosmic bollocks as (laughs) steve would say you know going on (laughs) it's the whole point of the jsa characters not the whole point, but the thing that's made them uh, so vital for so many years is the legacy aspect. Um, And that's what revived them in the eighties. I mean, sure. We're reading about infinity incorporated, but it's all rooted in the history of the the JSA. I mean, the first page of infinity incorporated is a JSA meeting and it's not just a bunch of old codgers. You've got, you know, power girl, the huntress star spangled kid, and uh, the grown-up Robin in that scene too. Yes, yeah. it's, it's just there's so much to be done with that idea that if they were going to do it, I mean, I would have no problem having the JSA get a swan song, and you don't have to kill them off and you know put them six feet under, but they can retire to a a position of you know mentorship that doesn't require them to go out at night and you know hobble around with a walker trying to fight off criminals <laughs> you know i mean and yeah. i say that with love in my heart because i love these kind of characters but this is 40 years on from this i mean when yeah. they're coming in here they were characters that were in their 50s and you know what i'm 51 i would imagine if i were a superhero i could still go out and and do something but you know not at 100 for heaven's sakes good lord <laughs> <laughs> I know, but I suppose things they like to play fast and loose with characters' ages, don't they? And you know, they don't age in real time, so to speak. So yeah. you know, you can always you can always sort of de-age or up-age characters to suit your whim. But um, you know, I, I I do would like to see like a proper title back. But um, you know, maybe we'll get it, maybe we won't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we'll see, we'll see. I mean, what I was reading as well, actually, that Infinity Inc. the the original. It's actually um, Roy Thomas's wife, Dan Thomas, that actually came up with that name because they originally were going to call the group the Centurions, right? And they were going with that and that was what they decided on. But then 
they didn't realize that there was a forthcoming animated kids TV series called the Centurions that was, you know, Oh. Down, down the line and so they had to rethink it and it, his wife Dan who obviously worked with him on this and and as, as a co-writer and what have you had said let's call it Infinity Inc and the, and the rest is history and I had the toys of the Centurions actually as well as a kid the, t- the animated show oh, ma- ma- it, it made its way over to the UK they were like these sort of high-tech powered not superheroes but kind of military high-tech quasi superheroes and um yeah i had the figures as well so uh who knows in in a parallel universe i could have been playing with my infinity ink um, <laughs> figures but yeah the, centu- <laughs> the centurions would have been the name but uh, it doesn't quite it doesn't seem quite to fit so i think every cloud has a silver line i think infinity ink is a much better name than the centurions isn't it oh yeah the centurions sounds like we're going back to a story with uh, in, in ancient rome the centurions you know yeah exactly yeah yeah for and for a group that's supposed to be like a younger generation and the up-and-coming characters it it, it wouldn't really have worked i don't think so i think it was kind of good that um, they did it um but yeah what i do like about this as well matt is when they introduce these characters obviously in issue 25 of all-star squadron they literally throw them in mid-arc as well don't they there's no sort of they don't bring them yeah. in. The it's literally the, the the JSA, sorry, the All-Star Squadron, I do beg your pardon, um, are in this sort of um, feud with the ultra-humanite. Um, and all of a sudden, these sort of characters, these young characters sort of appear from nowhere. No one knows who they are. And then, you know, things unfurl and we get to know who they are. But it was quite a bold choice, isn't it, really, by doing that and, and you know, not sort of setting the table for them in any way or you know leveling the playing field by closing off the previous arc and then starting with these you li- they're literally thrown right into the thick of a of a of an ongoing feud aren't they yeah and and, and they're really set uh the table set against them because they're set up as pawns and yeah you don't really know um as a reader when you're reading this the first time you don't really understand that they are people that are uh being mind controlled yeah when you first read it they are you're like wait a minute they're fighting the good guys what's what's going on you know what what happened (laughs) yeah yeah that's just it you don't because because you've never met them before you presume they're you presume they're villainous you don't know the backstory you don't know who they are so in, in introducing a team of, of new heroes that you're hoping is going to be a big hit series and it's going to run for years and years and years to introduce them in this way is quite quite a bold concept really to present them in in that light but obviously with the benefit of hindsight you know like you just said they're being mind controlled so we know what's going on but um it was quite an interesting way of bringing them in wasn't it it was and and i can tell you it really worked because i i, I remember reading this first issue yeah multiple times when i read it i read it I'd probably reread it immediately. And I read it a number of times uh, before the next issue came out. It was, it was a book I kept going back to. Uh, so it, it, to me, I think it really worked because it, it set everything up and you wanted to know why, who these guys were and why do they look modern with, you know, Nuclon with the, uh, the Mohawk and all that. And you knew they weren't, uh, you know, golden age characters. And why is there a, a guy that looks like brainwave if he's not brainwave, you know, you knew there were, there was something more to it, but it, it, 
to me, it worked. I reread that thing numerous times. I, I still remember. I mean, you can still tell when you pick it up. Oh, this has been read a number of times. That's mm. it's it's seen some action. <laughs> well, that's a sign of a good book, then, isn't it? It is. It is. Yeah. If any, I, I say any book that's in your collection that's pristine means it it may not have been that good and didn't warrant a second reading. <laughs> yeah. That is an excellent point. Yeah. That is an excellent point. It is, yeah. Uh, or then again, you were just very careful and bag- nicely bagged and boarded it and ke- kept it uh, kept it away from uh, the children and all the rest of it. That's uh, how I like to do it as well, I must <laughs> say. So you've got to have the best of both worlds. Um, yeah, true, true. Yeah, very true, yeah. Um, and one thing I did want to say, and you really noticed the contrast when you finished All-Star Squadron, this little run to introduce Infinity Inc. and then jump into Infinity Inc., is the All-Star Squadron books, I think it's probably a testament to the right and talent of Roy Thomas. When you read it, it does read like the way the 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 the, uh, the parlance and the dialogue that the characters use, it does come across like a, a 1940s publication, doesn't it? Like a golden age comic, the way the characters speak. Although this is an 80s book, it, it it looks and sounds like something you'd pick off the rack in the forties, doesn't it? You know, the characters are saying, oh, you know, G, you know, Robin says, oh, G Willikers, Batman and, and things like this. It, it's really talented piece of writing, isn't it? To fully immerse you in that decade and that era. Uh, Roy Thomas does a great job of making you feel like you're in the era. He definitely has done his research for uh, the vernacular, uh, and that kind of thing. And to, and honestly, uh, Jerry Ordway, who I'm sure we'll talk about more at length at some point today, um, he is right on with the hairstyles and the clothes mm. and the, uh, and the look of the furniture and everything. I mean, you, you, you look at that and you go, that's the forties. I mean, that is, it could no, it could be no other time than the forties, the old rate. This is in the first page of 25. You got one woman in that hairstyle from the forties. You got that old radio, Yeah. you know, the old telephone it, and it's even old telephone for the, for the era in which it was, you know, drawn in the eighties. It's not even an 80s telephone. It's clearly a forties telephone. Yeah. And uh, the, the whole, the whole look of those, issues even even like uh like on page five there's a picture of batman in the foreground and he's he's sort of clenching his fist he's even getting a little bit of that golden age batman look yeah without without trying to make it uh look like he's he's homaging it 100 percent. he does just enough to where you could almost imagine that being in a 1940s comic, that panel, the way Batman looks. Yeah. But yeah, it's it, you're right in there. There's no doubt about it. Uh, and it, so, I, I, we don't we don't get a, real, a lot of historical. Uh, I say historical fiction, historical fiction comics anymore. We don't really get anything that's not really modern anymore. Mm. I don't, or I don't think. But this is just the. You're exactly right with what you said about that. It's it really takes you back. It makes you feel like you're in that era. And of course, it doesn't hurt that the storyline involves World War II and saboteurs and all that. But you know, those are the sort of the details about it. But it's the it's the stuff you were talking about, the way they speak and the way the 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 the, 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 the surroundings look 
and the hairstyles and stuff that really make you feel like you're in the in that era yeah oh definitely yeah i mean just the whole flavor of it like you were saying then about the art it's everyone adopts that sort of when they're speaking they they you know they don't they're not sort of they're stood in, in sort of iconic poses, aren't they? You know, legs apart, arms folded, you know, delivering the lines like they're on a, on a, on a stage rather than just sort of inter- interacting in a real life situation. You know, it, it's really enhanced and larger than life. And, 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 and like we're saying about the writing style as well and, and the way they speak is every fight is dialogue heavy, isn't it? That, the, the way they did things there. So, you know, I mean, it, in modern day comics and like, you know, I guess they're more a reflection of real life. When there's a fight scene in, in a modern day publication, there's not endless dialogue during the fight. In fact, there's practically nothing because <laughs> they wouldn't be in a real fight. You wouldn't be sort of, you know, fighting someone potentially to the death and coming out with verbal back and forths. But in, in this, in, in this, these issues, and, and again, it's indicative of the time period it's trying to portray, you know, they're in these huge fights that go on for several pages, but they give they're providing their own commentary for the fight aren't they you know uh, something uh it struck me more on this reread than it ever has before it's much a product of a of the time it is uh stylistically um and it's it it it's kind of shocking not shocking i don't think that's not the right word it's uh it's interesting to see at this time when in the past I've reread this and not had the same feeling. I don't know if maybe I was thinking about it just a little bit more critically uh, since we were going to talk about it. Uh, and as much as I, I love it, it, it's weird to read all of them back to back. Tony on one of his shows recently when he was talking about a comic from the 80s on one of his uh, – hidden gems episodes a yeah. comic called mars which i read right off the rack back in the 80s yeah and mentioned to him that's why he picked it um one of the things he said was it's not something you can read or you should read back to back to back to back it's individual issues and you know that's something about comics uh back in the 70s and 80s and even i guess early 90s was you know the writers knew they were writing uh a publication that was going to be out every month. So when you picked it up, you wanted to pick it up and be able to tell what was going on hmm. and catch a reader up in case they didn't remember, remember something, but also be accessible to a new reader. Remember yeah. I said, this is the first issue of all-star squadron I bought yeah. two, two, two years into the run. Yeah. And I finally pick it up and, but I, but it, it gets me in, everything gets me in. I'm not like, what the hell is going on? This is terrible, you know? Yeah, Whereas yeah. now you can pick up a comic and be like, uh, so I read uh, the next issue of Wonder Girl the other day for review purposes. You know, it mm. doesn't come out till next week. But the point of it, my story of it is that I started reading it and it was like, I have no idea what's going on. What, what's going on? Yeah. I had to go get the third issue and reread it to make sure I understood what happened. Because I had totally lost gotten lost in what had happened you know and comics just aren't really written like that because you put them together in a collection and some of it starts to seem redundant whereas you know when that first collection of wonder girl comes out you'll turn the page and it will be you know seamless you won't be able to tell there was a a break in the issues right but here 
you know, it's a different time. It's a different era. No one ever thought they were going to collect. No one ever thought Max Brown was going to be holding an Infinity Incorporated collection yeah. in 2021. You know, when Roy Thomas wrote this in 1983, he never, no, he didn't think that. Nobody no. thought that, you know? Yeah. So they're written very differently. And I almost think that it's a, uh, I almost think it affects my perception of it. I, I was re recently re reading uh, Nexus also yeah. uh, from the 80s by Mike Barron and Steve Rude. And I had the same, I just couldn't believe how fast things were happening. It's like, I feel like we took longer to get to this point in the, in the big story. But that's, that part of it is simply that you're reading four, five, six issues in a row as opposed to reading an issue and getting another issue a month later. Even if you took a day in between issues, it would space it out enough to where it would let the, let the story uh, breathe a little bit. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things uh, I was reacting to when I read it this time is that uh, we get all the stuff that I remember that I love about it, but reading it all together maybe wasn't the best way to experience it this time around. For uh, a more enjoyable experience, I think, when I read it again, I'll take a break in between issues or something like that, or not try to get them all so, so much, so close together. But that was an interesting uh, uh, experience. It really made me think about my perception of it uh, because it happened with a few different things all together uh, with the Nexus and this uh, relatively close together that it made me think about the craft of it and just how different it is when uh, you're writing a comic today than when you're writing a comic in uh, in the eighties. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very different, isn't it? It's, you know, the, I, I know t times change, don't they? And, and, you know, fashions change and, you know, the, the, the way the industry goes, it reflects the, the time and the place, I suppose. But, um, you know, you can still read it and, and appreciate it for the time that it was published, isn't it? Although it's by today's standards, it, the writing does sort of date it back to, in, in some ways to the time it was written. I guess that's fair enough because you can only be a representation of the time you're from, I suppose. But um, it does sort of set it apart from from now. But I'm, I quite like this style of writing, really. I, I like the fact that they put it all on the page. The, you know, there's no ambiguity about what the characters are thinking, is there? They literally are telling the reader their internal thoughts. You know, every time they're faced with a situation, they don't just sort of, do what it takes to get out of the situation before they do what it takes to get out of the situation. They tell the reader what they're about to do, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that that is one of the strengths of this, uh, this series is the introduction of all these characters. By the time you finish reading this whole introductory arc, you know what each character's like. You yeah. can tell the difference between just by the way they act. And some of the personalities are personalities, you know, that we'll see played on meant down the road. Like Hawkman is always, well, I can't say always, but, you know, you get that sense of who Hawkman is when you read the Infinity Incorporated stuff that he's still like that. that that's your, that's your perception of Hawkman. That's exactly what he's supposed to be like. Yeah. You know, when you, when you see how he acts, um, and he doesn't he doesn't make every character you know perfect either he makes he makes them all feel real like they've yeah. all got a real personality they, yeah. they don't automatically you know 
gosh, I'm just a, a, a great superhero that is always right and always does the right thing. Yeah. They make mistakes. Yeah. They act like jerks sometimes to their own kids. The kids act like kids. And we say kids, but they're in their early 20s. They're like 18, 19, 20, 21, yeah. that kind of time frame, early college. And, uh, and, they, uh, and they act like young people. They don't act like, you know, 35-year-old veteran superheroes yeah you know that's 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 one of the strengths i think of the series and one of the reasons i like it so much is that you do get that characterization so specific to each character that uh that, that you know who they are just by you know if somebody were just to read the dialogue out you can almost tell who it was just by hearing the dialogue you he it does such a good job of describing the characters through how they speak and the things they would say yeah Almost definitely, yeah. It's it, you know he he does have a handle on sort of the personality of each character, doesn't he? You know, he's he's not just sort of writing on mass. He understands how each character thinks, feels, and and how they would deliver dialogue. It it feels really authentic, like that, doesn't it? Yes, even if they deliver a lot of dialogue, it does. Yeah. No, definitely. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, and obviously it is dialogue heavy. I mean, you notice the contrast when you move to the Infinity Inc. books, where obviously they're no longer set in the 1940s. So that although it is still very dialogue heavy, and again, that's indicative of the of the time period, I suppose, the 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 um the dialogue immediately takes on a more contemporary, modern edge, doesn't it? We're no longer speaking to characters in the 1940s who spoke in a you know, people from the in the 1940s did speak in a very different way to how we we spoke in the 80s and how we speak now, of course. So the stark contrast, isn't it? You know, there's a lot more slang terms being used in the in the Infinity Inc. books, and there is in the All Star Squadron books. The characters, um, you know, are a lot more brusque and a lot more blunt in the way they speak, and you know, not perhaps as wholesome as well. Um, which again, it yeah, just helps. Yeah. To, it helps to separate the two areas, doesn't it? You know, that was one of the things I noticed when I was reading it was that it's so. It's so much a product of the 80s and the way people in the 80s would have talked, young people in the 80s would have talked with yeah. references to popular culture and stuff, that if you were to read this today, if I were to give this to my 18-year-old my daughter and said, just read it, there would be references that she wouldn't get. Oh, yeah. Just simply because it's – this is as old to her as something from the golden age was to me when I was a teenager, you know? And uh, it's it, – you're exactly right. And that's kind of another reason why, you know, you can point out the writing is so good because it's, it does feel like young people in the eighties talking and it separates it. So, so that generational gap that they're trying to, uh, that he's working with thematically between the JSA and the new uh, uh, infinity Inc group. Uh, it, it helps to accentuate that in a, in another way, simply besides the fact that they're arguing, you can just tell that they're from different backgrounds, different worlds, and they have a different view of life and a different experience that makes them see things differently. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it does separate the two generations beautifully, I think. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, moving on to sort of the Infinity characters, it's really quite an astounding feat to think about it when he's introducing so many new characters in, in literally in one in one fell swoop. He's you know to introduce one new character now is quite a big thing, and but to introduce so many in the in in one book is quite something. And to think that a lot of these characters that are introduced in these in these pages 
are still relevant now and very relevant now, in fact, because so many of them are getting live action moments now, like Jade and, and, and is in Stargirl now in the TV show and Obsidian has been, it keeps getting referenced in that show. So I can only imagine he's going to appear in that. Uh, Brainwave Jr. has been in Stargirl. Uh, Nuclon, who we know goes on to be Atom Smash or Nuclon, is going to be in the Black Adam film, which is out next year. So all these characters he's introduced, they weren't sort of fly-by-night characters that were here today, gone tomorrow. These characters have stood the test of time, haven't they? And, and, and like I said, are being delivered to a new audience today in, in live-action format. So it just goes to show what a brilliant sort of invent, invention he had with these characters. They were, you know, not characters that you sort of sort of pull out, out your hat and just stick them on the page and, you for, they're forgotten about in a in a year or two. These are characters that have endured and still have great stories to tell, don't they? I'm glad you brought up Stargirl because, except for uh, Stargirl herself, yeah. every other second generation character on that show first appeared in Infinity Inc. It's quite something, isn't it? It is. Um, I think I told you aside, but Mike Dugan, uh, Pat's son. Mm-hmm. He first appears in issue number 11. Uh, Yolanda Montez first appears in issue number 12, I think. Yeah. Um, and then the versions of Dr. Midnight, Beth Chapel, uh, Rick Tyler. Uh, they both first appear in Infinity Incorporated down the line. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's really weird to watch that show and, and know where they first came from. Yeah. You know, uh, it's it's not the same at all because their stories are very different. I mean, yeah. Beth and Rick's Beth, especially and Yolanda, hers, their stories are very different from what's in the comics, yeah. but nonetheless, it's their first appearance. And, uh, they all, they all, they, they all come here. It's, it's crazy. Even the costume that, uh, Sylvester Pemberton wears as, as Starman in the TV show is his, essentially his Skyman costume that's introduced in Infinity Incorporated, you know, a few issues down the line. I don't remember the exact issue number off the top of my head, but we first see that here too. Uh, so it's, it's really, uh, it's really wild to see that show and see it prep- representing the characters in a different way, but knowing that, you know, like you said, they're, they're still relevant because yeah. here they, we're getting them all again, reinterpreted, but, we're certainly, we're certainly still getting them and they're, you know, they, they didn't go away after, after the series ended. No, exactly. It's great that they're being delivered to a whole new audience and, and a younger audience as well, because that show Stargirl is, I, I don't know actually, because it, it, at first, when I first started watching, I thought it was maybe pitched to like the teenage market, but then this current season, season two, that's about you know winding down towards the end of it now. It's been incredibly dark, and at this series, and you know certainly perhaps not less. It's a lot less of a family show this series, so perhaps they've decided to pitch it up more to the adult side. But um, it is great, isn't it, to give these characters a showcase at now and and to show that you know these inventions that are over 40 years old in this instance in the in this book can go on and, and entertain people now yeah it is it really is and uh yeah because i know the comics so well i can't help thinking why they didn't use uh yolanda's brother because in the comics yolanda's brother gets infected with eclipso right i don't remember if you ever remember that storyline 
but it's one of those things it's like are they going to show that are they going to have that you know yeah. is that going to be part of this at all and so i'm constantly second guessing things because you can't help when you know the comics you can't help but go oh well this is where this oh no that didn't happen oh this yeah. oh, that didn't happen so but i mean they didn't have something like the shade where they're taking stuff from the james robinson starman run and applying it to this situation and to me that's one of the things i'm enjoying most so far about this season is the use of the shade and uh and then it's playing it's it's getting the character right out of out of that interpretation by by James same sort of themes and and characterization uh comic show i'm watching right now just because i just don't have time but <laughs> <laughs> yeah most definitely yeah it's, it's a really good to bring those characters into the, the modern the modern day and, and present them up like that yeah what's interesting i suppose as well about infinity inc is it you know it's not a title that's become you know in inverted commas a household name title is it it's not one that you know what you might call a more general audience reader you know someone who's not immersed in 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 the the mythology and and especially someone like yourself who has that depth of knowledge and is fully aware of the history and the legacy and everything infinity inc isn't a title that's endured i mean this yes after this initial run i think it was about 50 something issues wasn't it about four years worth before it ended and then obviously it has been like brought, that yeah it has yeah. been brought back in different incarnations since you know as recently as sort of the the new 52 era there was a or no or maybe post 52 i'm not sure there was a, a yeah, another version yeah. of another version of them then but the the sort of the title Infinity Inc isn't isn't used now in the modern continuity and it hasn't been for a number of years, and it's interesting because in some ways Infinity Inc is to the JSA sort of what the what the Teen Titans is to the Justice League, isn't it? In a way, um, you know, it's the it's the it's the younger versions um, of the the key characters, or I suppose in the Teen Titans it's a bit different because they're not the the offspring or the heirs of the characters they're more the sidekicks but in a way it's that younger generation breaking off isn't it and for and doing their own thing and i'm just wondering i'd love to know your take on it as to why why infinity inc hasn't quite sort of endured the same way as the teen titans has i mean you know not to say it's not as good because it clearly is and and you know like we've just been speaking about for the last five minutes those characters are still out there now and being portrayed in live action but it, it never quite hit the same heights in terms of name recognition, did it, as, as Teen Titans? And I'm just wondering why you think it didn't quite get to that level? Um, you know, I, I don't know, because at the time, DC wasn't, these, these were uh, uh, books were done in that Baxter series, that yeah. Baxter series format. Uh, like New Teen Titans, like the uh, Legion of Superheroes. Yeah. Um, these are the three of the original early ongoing uh, series in that format. So DC was putting a little more money behind them uh, to publish them that way. Um, so it is kind of strange. It, it, I think I think it probably all goes back to the uh, the fact that you know. Earth two got folded into the, the the main Earth, and so you have all these competing ideas, and no one really quite knows how to handle these characters without dealing with their 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 parents and their uh, mentors and such who who were the JSA. Uh, if you think about if you think about the cover to Infinity Incorporated, Power Girl loses her connections, the Golden Age Superman. Yeah. 
the Huntress no longer exists. Star Spangled Kid, who becomes Skyman, gets killed at some point. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you have, oh, you don't have her on the cover, but Lyda Hall, uh, Lyda yeah. Trevor, Wonder Woman's daughter, she's no longer has her history anymore. And you just, they just, that's the whole crisis sort of threw a monkey wrench into an, about half the team's history. You know, you could have the same history for Nuclon or uh, Hector uh, and even, you know, Star Smiley Kid, but, you know, Power Girl, the Huntress and, uh, you know, Fury, they're off the table because yeah. their characters either don't exist anymore or they have a completely different history that hasn't been worked out and that to me was one of the biggest problems with the uh the crisis was that they didn't work out properly what needed to happen going forward they said oh we're gonna do this and then and then we'll you know uh, oh wait a minute hawkman doesn't exist how can he have been in this story you know and they had yeah. to go back and have these excuse me crazy retconned uh you know stories that it's a fake Hawkman impersonating the original Hawkman and just all kinds of crazy stuff that's just that they tried to make it so it would work for continuity and it just they just didn't have a plan that's the biggest thing is when when DC does something like a reboot is they don't have a plan they had a plan with the new 52 but half of it was terrible a terrible plan you know Part yeah. of it was fine, but half of it was terrible, a terrible plan. <laughs> and with this, they didn't have any plan whatsoever. So, you know, without, you know, and the one thing is like Roy Thomas was like the only person that cared enough about these Golden Age characters. Um, so he was like the caretaker of everything Earth 2 when back then in the 80s. Um, and he tried to stick with that as long as he could. But uh, eventually, you know, when they're like, now nah, get rid of them and you got to send them off to limbo and fight Ragnarok for five years or whatever. It's just it's like what he, DC didn't have the uh, uh, the support behind them. And so it's hard to go ahead and write stories about Jade and Obsidian when you have to go into a long story about their father, the Golden Age Green Lantern. You know, you can't just throw them out there. You can't go. Oh, Wally West, he was a kid flash. Um, Donna Troy, Wonder Girl, that was Wonder Woman's sidekick, or not yes. really, but <laughs> she wasn't really. She was never Donna's. Wonder I mean, that's the funny thing. Wonder Girl was never Donna's or uh, Diana's sidekick, never. No. Sure, Robin was Batman's sidekick, and Aqualad was, you know, Aquaman's sidekick, but Donna Troy was never Diana's sidekick. She was always something real similar <laughs> yeah. to Wonder Woman herself, just younger. Uh, so, but that, but you know, I know these she's there as well, but that that's a whole show right there. Who is Donna Troy? Um, but uh, yeah, I think I think it and I think it's all tied to that. And then any kind of momentum they had got lost, and you couldn't keep going forward with it because it required too much reference to their histories. And if if I can't talk about where Batman came from and how he became Batman, it's going to limit the scope of the writing I can do for a character, you know? Yeah, so if yeah. I can't tell you who this character is or who that character is and where they came from, you know, it's going to limit what we can do. It wasn't until Jeff Johns came to DC, I guess in the late nineties that he wanted to use these characters again. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you've got the star girl series or stars and stripes first. Um, and then uh, 
James Robinson is doing great stuff in Starman with a lot of the Golden Age legacy stuff. And then Jeff Johns finally gets on a new say title with James Robinson and David Goyer. And then it gets again. And then you get other new characters brought into the fold, um, like the new uh, Mr. Terrific Michael Holt, yeah. which was first in a Spectre comic in the mid 90s. Uh, and then uh, you know, they even was another another new Doctor Midnight besides Beth Chapel, Peter Cross. Yes. That uh, that was, I think it was by Matt Wagner in that series. Uh, but anyways, it's I think it's related to that. Until somebody really cares about those characters and wants to write them, it's hard to write them without referencing all that other stuff. And then, and if DC's yeah. not really pushing that and behind that, it's really hard to do that. It's really I, that's 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 my take on it. That's probably why it didn't go further than it did you know they they got they got hit in the kneecaps with the crisis about a year into the run yes and then and then after that it was just trying to push put things back together sort of piecemeal you know and it it worked to varying degrees and without being able to sort of do it all you know and honestly to me you when you take power girl and the huntress out of this mix in my opinion you lose a lot yeah those are those are really interesting concepts and to no longer have that connection to the Golden Age Batman and Superman and Wonder Woman, you're you're, you're taking a lot away from. Think about if you think about the the first four issues you read. Think mm-hmm. about how much those three characters were in there: Fury, Huntress, and Power Girl. There's a lot of that. A lot of that is important yeah. to those first few issues. You take all that out, there, there's no history there that makes sense to, to do that with. You know, left. So it it becomes difficult. You know. Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting, it's an interesting way of looking at it. Yeah, I agree with everything you just said. Yeah, it's it's, it's, it's a shame though, isn't it? I mean, it would, you know, I, I would like to see you know them do something with this this group or this title. I mean, they could bring it back now, couldn't they? And and have, a, a, you know, a, a newer, younger group, you know, from the current continuity, or you know, or or do do what they did here and just invent new characters. Yeah, well, you know. Jeff Johns was continually adding more legacy characters when he was uh, yeah. doing JSA. Uh, you know, one of them is is Cyclone, what the granddaughter of your tornado uncle, yes. who's going to be in that Black Adam movie also. At least, at least some version that's visually unrecognizable as Cyclone is going to be in that movie. Um, but you know, it, it, it's something I think like we talked about sort of at the top of the show was legacy and that's what makes it different having those characters and even if your your jsa ends up being cyclone and you know jade and obsidian and uh, uh beth chapel dr midnight you know it's their their legacy characters that can you hear that fun ringing i'm sorry <laughs> it's okay <laughs> the uh you know it's the it's those legacy characters. It's still connected to the past. It still has that connection. So it still feels like it's part of the greater picture, mm-hmm. even if it's not, you know, the original characters, it's, uh, they have that connection and that's kind of what makes it work. Like I you know, it's DC's biggest strength versus Marvel is that legacy and DC can work that for days because they've done it. I mean, before they can, they can keep that idea going and you can go, you literally can go to infinity with that because you can always have a descendant, a protege, you know, and it doesn't always have to be a son or a daughter. It can be, 
in, in the case of Nuclon, it's a godson, yeah. no blood at all, you know, but he has it. But Roy Thomas gave him an interesting ver, uh, origin, an interesting connection to the past, you know, and Northwind is just, you know, I guess he's Hawkman is supposed to be like a father to him, but he's not his dad. He's no relation at all, but no. they have this connection. There's plenty of things you can do and show how family is created. Uh, with relationships and not necessarily, uh, you know, blood. I think that's a interesting theme that is certainly always relevant. Uh, maybe even no more so than than now. The way we see things in the world at times, with the way people uh, perceive one another. You know, being able to say that, oh, your family, even if you're not yeah. blood, there's there's that strong relationship there that matters. You know. I think there's a, a lot of mileage in that concept. And that's kind of, to me, what the legacy is all is really, is really going with besides just the obvious, Oh, it's my son or daughter. Oh, it's this person I cared for like a son who, who didn't have that father figure or whatever, you know, it's, yeah. it's important stuff. It's good stuff. It's, it's real stuff that people are going to relate to. Yeah, that's stuff that happens in our world that we're going to relate to. It's not always just, you know, my dad was a superhero. Yeah, it's not always that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's good. And um, um, one of the, the last things I wanted to pull on, actually, was it's quite clever in Thomas's writing as well, is that when he, after he's brought you all these new characters, he wastes no time in getting them all to give you their origin stories as well, doesn't he? And, and he, doesn't, he does it in a very economical way. When each one is sort of, explaining where they've come from and who they are and their backstory it's they practically all do it within the space of two or three pages don't they there's no yeah it's not like now where you'd probably get a whole issue dedicated to someone's origin story and really take that time to tell that story here he manages to do it in literally two maybe three pages per character you know very economical in his storytelling, but gives you every bit of information you need to understand who this person is, who the, what the backstory is, who it is that, like we just said about who, who they connected to in terms of the characters that have come before them, why they have the abilities they have and what sort of shaped them to become the kind of personality that they are now. But it's done so quickly, isn't it? It's, it's really well, well done because you think if you're introducing that many characters in one fell swoop and then you've got to give them all an origin story, you think that would clog up several issues, but it's all done just bang, 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 bang. And it, it's exciting because you, you, as a reader, you think, oh, the, the curtain's being pulled back a bit here. I'm learning who they are and what they're about. And it just adds a bit more meat to the bone, doesn't it? Because you you know who they are and it helps you connect with them a bit more because you know what's framed their experiences to make them like they are now. Uh, yeah, I mean, in one of the letters columns in these issues, because I reread those as well, yeah. uh, he, he sort of apologizes for the decompressed storytelling, although he doesn't use that, that terminology, but that's the terminology we use today in comics. The only difference is in decompressed storytelling today, yeah. um, you know, this 10, this 10 issue, this 10 issue run that tells in the first 10 issues in today's comics would have taken probably 30 to do. Um, but he, he slows things down in order to do that. And I, I think, uh, as you put it, he 
he do he does it on purpose so that he can introduce you so that you care as you go along and so by the time you get to issue uh was it four four or five when they actually have to face the jsa you're kind of like oh well if something goes south who who do i care about more now yeah the old jsa character or the new young character that i just learned all about and you're i'm just getting to know i don't want that to you know what i mean it, it's yeah. it's a clever way that he, he he does it to to get all that in here's a question i have for you because i don't have the, the collected edition you have mm -hmm. uh in the fourth issue there is a uh, essentially a reprint of an old hawkman story yes. is that in your is that in there too oh it absolutely is yeah okay it sure okay. is yeah okay because i thought that was a really interesting old story that he drew on to create uh uh norda northwind yeah i mean there's there's stuff in there that is uh, still relevant today with the idea of, um, you know, uh, protecting uh, uh, wildlife and such, even though they're sentient wildlife. And it, it just seemed to really fit well with, uh, it's still a, a relevant topic that could be exploited in, in storytelling with the character today. Yeah. Um, but I wonder how they did that with that, because that is so important to the, uh, uh, to Norda's backstory, but it was used as a, but they had a deadline <laughs> issue that they had to, they had to sort of figure out what to do. So they figured we'll tell more Norda's story with this reprint instead of, uh, you know, something else. Yeah. It was, it was interesting to read that uh, behind yeah. the scenes. Oh yeah. I really like it. Yeah. It's about nine pages. Um, I don't know yeah. how it plays out in the original, but yeah, in the reprint, yeah, it's about nine pages worth where they've taken this story. Yeah, it's, it's great that they're able to do that, aren't they? Because again, it just expands on that, what, you, what we've been saying all through this about this feeling of legacy and how they're able to literally take a pre-existing story and make it feel relevant to all this new mythology you're creating. It just shows that you're, whilst you're able to press on and create new characters, you're still standing on the shoulders of what's come before and you, you know, you're using all that to build on, to create the new. So I do like that, the way it ties back to the past. Quite a clever storytelling device, isn't it? It is. It is. He does it with the whole main uh, issue that they have, the teams have to face. And I know it's here in this issue somewhere. What, what issue, you remember when the JSA are drowned in the stream? Remember that bit? Okay. Or yeah. is that not? Remember that bit? Well, that all is based on an old all-star comic story. I think it's like issue 32 or something, or maybe right. 37, 38, something like that. Yeah. So this whole idea of the stream of ruthlessness where they uh, they are drowned and then they're sort of not themselves yeah. comes from an old all-star comic story. So Roy Thomas is utilizing one of those old stories as the basis for this story in its entirety yeah. instead of the jsa having to save uh these men who have been around in the stream it's the uh the jsa have to be saved by infinity inc who uh because uh, the jsa have been drowned that yeah. came out oddly yeah oh, i like it i think it works okay like yeah. I expected it tricking with this uh, malice, what precipitates the, the conflict. And of course, it's all based on the uh, ultra humanite. And uh, he set all this up in order to get revenge against the JSA uh, through through their their kids and their yeah. protege and stuff. So even if even if the JSA 
wins. They lose because they'll have ended up killing their sons and daughters and protégés. And and if the Infinity Incorporated wins, the JSA are dead because it's the only. It'll be the only way to. It'll be the quote unquote only way to stop them. So yeah. he, he's utilizing that old story for for the main thrust of the uh, the plot, anyways. But but it, it's very character driven. At the same time, it's it's not that difficult a plot to figure out. Yeah. But it's all the other stuff with the characters that really make it important. That's why it's that's why it's good. It's because of the character stuff and how all the characters, like I said earlier, have individual personalities and how you feel like, you know, it feels like real relationships between fathers and sons and mothers and daughters and and those kind of things. Yeah. It does. It does. It feels very, very authentic stuff. Yeah. As well as what you were saying there as well, I really like the concept of the ultra humanite as well, because for my generation of, of reading, you know, you know, I was born in 79. So, you know, my sort of readings from sort of mid eighties onwards, I guess. So when I think of the ultra humanite, I think of that huge sort of white ape with the elongated skull, the big cranium. And that's the sort of the classic image of the ultra humanite. And I'd never even read any uh, publications that showed him in the Dolores Winters body from, you know, from yesteryear. So again, it helps to separate those two eras because you've got exactly the same character. It's the same brain, the same personality, the same MO, but in one time period, he's in the, the body of a giant white ape. And in the past, he's in the body of a normal looking lady of the 1940s. That's a really cool storytelling device, isn't it? You've got the same character in literally two different bodies in two time periods. Yeah, that's different. I can't think of anything quite like that <laughs> that I've ever read before. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I think the, the Dolores Winters version is even more alarming than the white ape version because you're supposed to be afraid of a white ape. That makes sense. A big giant yeah. white ape. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That makes sense. But then to have this, because it's not just that she's a woman, she's supposed to be a really attractive actress and she's yeah. always drawn in a slinky evening gown. Yeah. So it's like, it, it's really uh it's really alarming that way it's it's it, it's he's really playing on two different things you know the visual and the uh and the actual even one of the uh the, one of the henchmen says like she's hot or something and he's like you know <laughs> and you think is it a he or a she it's it's really interesting the way it's done and of course his original body was a bald scientist right and i can't we see that at some. We see that at some point, don't we? Did you get to see that section? Oh yeah, yeah. There is a section. Is that in yeah, one of the like, yeah, in a lab coat. It look kind of looks a bit like the old yeah Doctor Sivania from Shazam or whatever. But um, yes. yeah, we do get to see that incarnation as well. Yeah, and that's how he appeared in uh, action comics in the forties as a Superman villain. That's where he first yeah. appeared. Um, so it's uh, it, it's it's one of those really unique uh unique villains and of course his his whole you know mo in the in in the story set in the 40s he's trying to get in uh robot man's uh body so he can have a, a super strong body instead of being stuck in this actress's body which yeah. doesn't fit him at all but he's got to work with what he's got <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah um no it's cool i really like that i like the versatility of the villain isn't it that you know this can hop from it you know it essentially can hop from body to body to suit the you know there's he, he does say you know i'm in the body of this woman because i can get men to do what i want them to do and then you know like say he wants to jump into another body because that will suit 
the purpose of where he needs to go next. So I like that, the fact that the, the same character can take on all these different physical incarnations. It just helps to refresh the character and, and give it new dimensions. I really do like that a lot. Yeah, it's very different. It's very different. I don't think, I can't think of anything, uh, uh, anything like it. And, and to think that this was uh, the 80s when yeah. they were doing this too, that no one's picked up on that idea uh, since then. At least not that I can think of, but, no. you know. Yeah. No, no, it's, it's a really, really cool way of doing it. It's great. I, I think it, as, as a villainous character as well for this story arc, he really is spot on, really. Just because of the things he can do helps to offset the two generations. So I'm all for it. As a, as a choice of villain for this first run of this team, I think uh, you couldn't have picked a better one, I don't think, from, you know, from, you know, you're spoiled for choice, aren't you? Especially in the in the eighties, with the proliferation of characters that had been invented in the forty years previously and were still being invented into the eighties, to be able to just go, oh, we'll have whoever we want, and but to pick the ultra human, I, I think was a masterstroke by Roy Thomas. I really do. I mean, I guess you could have picked uh, Vandal Savage since he's an immortal. Yes, but uh, but I think the ultra human eye works even better because it plays on uh, multiple multiple avenues it's not just the whole this this sure he's out for revenge but it's uh it's a it's a two-way revenge it's not often you can team up with yourself you know yeah. and i think his his mind his his ultra mind powers that he has allowed him to you know connect uh to his future self from the past to or, or vice versa however it worked out you know in order to devise the plan and and coordinate everything that's uh it's it's different that's not simply being a uh, a character that's immortal and you know living through everything it's it's really something quite different yeah no it is perfect choice uh, perfect choice and, and Matt, what i can say you've you've come up with a perfect choice uh, for this episode it's been great really really great to, to speak to you about this and to pull on your knowledge and then to listen to you wax lyrical about this book and these characters i've, I've thoroughly enjoyed this uh, chat with you despite the various technical issues we've had <laughs> but uh, that's uh, modern technology for you um so what we'll do is we'll we'll skip to the end now and, and give our final scores um as always the guest gets the the big final score the big final say i should say on this show and um, so i'll go first and i'll let you have the last word as it should be of course you are the star of the show so out of five uh, one being a absolute piece of crap through to five being a masterpiece i think i'm going to give this collection four four out of five for me it's a it's a great bridge between the generations and it adds longevity to the older characters it's state of the art for the time period but then the really great stuff they do with like we've touched on with the 1940s and the sort of juxtaposition of that dialogue against the 80s dialogue just speaks volumes for Thomas's brilliant way of writing. I think those new characters are still relevant today, like we've said, with the live action incarnations taking them to a new audience around the world. And it, I think it's a lovely sort of um, blend of the golden age and the bronze age here. I mean, that's literally what it is, the meeting of the two. And it just never feels out of place, I think. The, the, the two mesh together so well. I think it moves along really quite quick at a sort of breakneck pace. And I think it's a worthy addition, really, to any DC fan who wants to delve into the history more of, of, of well, A, of the, the, the JSA and the All-Star Squadron, but then bring it up to date 
to well to the to the to that time period, the eighties time period of Infinity Inc. I think it'd be well worth anyone checking out. So I think I'm yeah. I think would I give it three? No, I'm going to give it four out of five. I think that's a, the best score I can give it, and I think it is well worth checking out. So Matt, what say you? What would you give this out of five? Go for it, sir. Before I I give my my score, I just want to mention that uh, the art by Jerry Ordway is. Uh, is fantastic. He's one of those yes. artists that came along in the, the the early '80s and worked for a number of years and went on. You know, he was writer on uh, Adventures of Superman in the '80s. He did uh, the Power of Shazam in the '90s, and he also drew, drew part. He drew the graph the 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 first intro uh, one shot, and then he was the writer on the series. Um, I love his stuff, and he just captures the flavor of the Golden Age so well. Uh, in the all-star squadron stuff but he also just does a great job of giving us contemporary modern art i mean you can put this up with you know perez and the new teen titans and it's it doesn't uh it holds its own against that which is some of the 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 best you know art of the of the era is that perez stuff um i absolutely love his stuff so to read anything by him is always fantastic i had to mention that uh before we finished out the uh, to the end there and you know uh, going into this i really thought i was gonna be like five 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 but you know what like i said like i said when i read it i i it my perception of it was a little different I, and i i felt like you know i'm gonna have to give this a four and i feel good about giving it a four because i think uh i think what i said earlier about it and it's not necessarily a drawback i think it's just a product of of its of its time maybe in 1983 1984 I would have given this, you know, a six out of five because mm-hmm. I was just so in love with those characters and yeah. the con- and everything was just brand new. Um, but I think, you know, it's a great it's a great thing. And if you're watching the Stargirl show and you want to know where some of these characters came from, they came from Infinity Inc. <laughs> That's where they came <laughs> from. <laughs> They're right here. <laughs> they came from right here. And uh, it, 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 it's uh, it's so much fun to go back and read it, and yeah, it always makes me a little sad because, like I said, the crisis on infinite earths destroyed um, a lot of what I loved about comics uh, yeah. uh, in the mid '80s. But yeah, I, I'm right in there at the four with you. I'm sitting right there on the four with you, and I don't mean any sort of disrespect to the creators or or my own memory, but uh, of it the first time. But it it just it it I just felt like. All things being equal, it was uh, it was it's a four. I mean, it's great. It's certainly something people should read. It's not. Uh, it maybe doesn't have the the impact of. Uh, I don't know. I guess what did we talk about last time was the Winter Soldier. That's there's right. There's a little yeah. more. There's a little more. I guess emotional depth to that. That's a little more. That's a little more dramatic. That the way it plays out is a mm. little. Uh, a little bit more impactful. But I, I feel confident with the four for that. I'm I'm good on a four. That's a long. That's a lot to say just to say four, isn't it? <laughs> no, it's perfect. It's perfect. <laughs> well, I'm glad you did because it's the same score as mine. So we'll we'll say great minds think alike. Or absolutely. <laughs> or, or maybe we're both 
stupid i don't know no i, I think we'll, <laughs> i think we'll go with great minds think alike yeah i'm glad uh, i'm glad you're of the same opinion of uh, as me on that one but it is it is great so thanks for bringing it to the table and it's been a treat for me to go and read this stuff because i hadn't read it before so it's always great for me as an eye opener when someone suggests something that i've never read before as opposed to something i already have because it's you know it just gives me the perfect excuse not that any is ever needed to go and buy some more books so um uh, thank you for that. There's a lot out there. It's tough times. Yeah. That you 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 read stuff and you're and you're so into this and that and then you go back and like I was doing a lot of reorganizing uh, when I got out these comics because I knew I had to get them out to read and I was doing some reorganizing in the process and I found you know three or four things I pulled out of the boxes to go I'm going to read read this too I read this one I'm going to reread this too and then you talk to people or whatever and you're like well, I guess I should read that. I didn't read that at the time, but, you know, when one of the writers suggests it to you, you, you probably should read it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. I recommend it to anyone out there who's uh, perhaps uh, like what they've heard and wants to give it a go. I can't recommend it enough. Get, get out there, whatever you, however you can drag it down. Like I said, it's not easy to find. They're not, I don't think they're still in print now. So, you know, you might have to go the eBay route that I did, or maybe you'll be lucky enough to go to comic book shop and they happen to have a copy in there or something like this you never can tell you might see one at the flea market who knows who knows a comic convention but if you do come across a copy do seek it out you'll really be glad you did um and i speaking of glad i'm very glad matt that you've given up your time to come on the show it's been an absolute pleasure and absolute honor to have you on again sir it really is so thank you so much for giving up your time uh, which i know is uh, precious to come on and uh, spend a couple of hours talking about um, this fantastic book so thank you so much uh, and in doing so please let people know where where can they find you on social media where can they find everything you've got going on uh, relating to this kind of stuff so the floor is yours plug away well, first of all, thank you for having me, Max. I really appreciate you asking me again. There's nothing I like more than talking about uh, comic books that I love, and <laughs> it's a it's a it's a great form a, a outlet to to talk about something that uh, that I love, whether it's you know new or old. It's a uh, it's a uh, it's very gratifying bit to talk to somebody about it. So I really appreciate you inviting me back. Um, I am uh, on Twitter personally as Matt B underscore Lloyd. Uh, and you can find me on the show, the Costa Comics show, as at uh, Comics Lloyd uh, on Twitter. You can also email the show, which no one has yet, but it's still a possibility, ClassicComicsMBL uh, at gmail.com. Uh, and, of course, I have reviews weekly at DC Comics News, as well as, uh, I don't I mean, you really can't see my work as an editor much. I mean, you can see it, I guess. <laughs> if you read this, if you read some of the news stories and they, they look good and they sound decent, <laughs> then you can see my work there. But I do that as well. Um, and I think that's probably the majority. That's all the social media stuff. I, uh, I have uh, I added this stuff for the show just to have a, uh, a way to simply push things with the show and I can do other things uh, individually without always being the show. So hopefully uh, I've got a, I got this interview with uh, Becky Clunan and Michael Conrad coming up on the DC Comics uh, yes. news uh, YouTube channel. Boy, that's being edited. I, I don't have these uh, video editing uh, capability. I, it's a mess. I, wow. I don't know. I, so 
we're getting that done and hopefully that'll be up shortly. There were some there are some technical difficulties with that as well. So I'm apologizing in advance to both uh, both of the people I interviewed as well as uh, the listeners who do give it a chance and have to uh, suffer the suffer the will of the internet going in and out <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh these things are sent to try us um but yeah thank you again tony uh, tony bloody hell uh, matt i do apologize sir um tony was, tony was the last one i recorded it's that other, so, it's that other american on the it's, network it's that other american <laughs> bloke i occasionally speak to yes apologies for that yeah um if <laughs> If um, anybody wants to uh, seek me out, I'm on Twitter at Maxi Burn, which is spelled M-A-X-Y-B-Y-R-N-E. Uh, if you go there, there's links to the, to the different websites I do bits and pieces for. And a link to this network, the Twitter page is at Comics in Motion P. Uh, you can go there and then you can find out everything that's dropping on the network. Obviously, there's this show that you listen to, that's Matt's show, which we've been talking about. And an absolute litany, an absolute host of other fantastic shows. There's something dropping nearly every day of the week, all different genres or different um sort of tastes whatever you're into i think you'll find a show on this network that will be to your liking so by all means do check that out hit the subscribe button on whatever podcast app of choice you use it is on there so you should be able to to find it comics in motion and then the, obviously if you listen to the show you've already found it but anyone else please do seek it out uh, it will be well worth your while so matt one last time, thank you so much again. We'll, we must do this again real soon. We'll complete your your trilogy of uh, appearances, so to speak, and <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, do another one real soon. So thank you again. It's been an absolute pleasure, an absolute privilege to have you on, and I look forward to doing it again real soon. And to everyone out there, you know, stay safe, look after yourselves, um, you know, Obviously, the world's a bit of a funny place still at the moment, but, you know, hopefully brighter times ahead for all of us. So just take care of yourselves, take care of those around you and uh, hopefully brighter times ahead around the world. So all the best to you all out there and we'll see you again real soon down the road. OK, bye for now. What love really meant When it came It came from nowhere When it came It altered my life Sons and daughters Love and laughter Tears and sadness And We will find out our sons and daughters